came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show. We have former police commissioner Bill Bratton on what's going on in New York. Suffolk County, new county executive Ed Romaine, former Congressman Peter King, and former Governor David Patterson, and Al D'Amato, one of New York's best U.S. Senators. Craig Eaton, what happened with the voting in New York City? And let's start off with a good friend, Michael Stoller, and what's going on with the Stoller Report. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I have J. Philip Rosen, who is the longtime head of real estate, gaming, Israel, and hospitality at the international law firm of Wild Gotcha and Manges. So, Philip, thanks for coming here. What's up with what, the state of the market? How do you look at it? Thank you, Michael. Um, first of all, I'm honored to be here on your show uh, again, and I appreciate it. Um, also. You didn't mention that uh, I'm co-professor with Michael Stoller of a real estate course at Yeshiva University, Sai Sim School of Business. And uh, every Friday at 10 a.m., I get to be with Michael Stoller interviewing a mogul of real estate. So a lot of fun. Right. It's the um, Titans of Real Estate. It's a Titans, dynamic course. Exactly. It's a great course. So Titan of Real Estate, how, how is the market today? So the market is a bunch of distinct markets. It's very hard to say real estate is good, bad, indifferent. You can't say that because there are 10 different product lines. There's 100 different uh, uh, economic arenas. So you could say multifamily real estate, free market, Upper East Side, Upper West Side, Manhattan. It's good. It's good. <laughs> okay. And then you could say that uh, hospitality, um, upper end hospitality in Manhattan sucks. Um, and then you could go into different other cities and go through the different varieties of real estate. So it's very hard to give one answer. How, how do you look at the world today as opposed to the past recessions or the past conditions that took place? How, how do you compare it? So there's a bunch of differences, but I would say that this is, this is one that has some parts of the real estate world doing very, very, very well, and other parts of the real estate world doing horribly, and there's anything in between. And that you didn't have in other cycles. In other cycles, when it was caused by purely financial um, reasons that uptick in interest rates, downtick in interest rates, whatever it was, the market went as a whole. I mean, it might have taken longer in certain cities. It might have taken longer for certain products, but it was a whole. And this one, there's no whole. There's no absolute. There's a bunch of differences um, in terms of product, um, in terms of um, how uh, expensive it is, 
Um, a lot of differences, and mainly the variety is in the locale. Um, New York is different than Chicago and Los Angeles and Miami. And I think uh, when you talk about real estate, you need to be very specific and go down to the specific uh, geographic area and the type of product, and in some cases, the sub-geographic areas. So in Miami, Bell Harbor may be a lot different than uh, uh, Miami Beach, and uh, uh, Brickell Avenue may be different than the rest of Miami Beach. So you really have to get very, very specific in order to give a real gauge of where the market is. So the, the question is, who... Who are the investors who are looking to seize the market, as I say in my acronym about SALT? So the investors today, um, there's a variety, but the main ones that I focus on are the longtime, very, very well-heeled investors, um, companies and uh, families that are willing to expose themselves to the market today. And look at it as a real opportunity. Um, I always say that the best opportunity in real estate, actually, I'll give you a quote. Um, the last downturn, actually, the 2000, uh, 2008 Eight. downturn where Lehman Brothers went under and triggered a lot of, a lot of uh, bad results. The day Lehman went under and my firm filed the bankruptcy, so I was uh, watching very carefully. I was up in Canada. I was visiting clients in Canada. And I remember very, very well that I came from a bunch of meetings. I went to the Brookfield offices. And as I'm about to get in the elevator to go up, one of the heads of Brookfield came over to me and said, um, hey, Phil, how you doing? I said, I'm not doing great. I don't think anybody's doing great. I said, I just came from a meeting where absolutely nobody paid attention to me because they were looking at their screens to see where their portfolio was at. I said, so this trip may be a waste, but I'm coming up to your offices anyway. He pulls me inside and he says, Phil, today is the best day in the history of man for my company. Today, we will make investments that will, in 10 years from now, push our portfolio from $2 billion under management to maybe 20 maybe 40, maybe 100, maybe 300. It actually pushed it up to $790 billion under management from that day going forward. So having confidence in a market that's on a tailspin is a pretty impressive thing. It requires real, to use the expression, balls, um, but it requires people that are very, very smart. And a lot of the investors today are very, very smart. I'd really like to thank you for your insight on the market. My friend Jay Philip Rosen, and I'll see you next week. See you next week. And we have now a former NYB, NYPD Commissioner Bill Bratton. Uh, Commissioner, uh, yeah, what happened? I mean, look at how bad crime is. Look at all the problems that are happening. We couldn't get anybody happening. to vote. Right. Well, yeah, well yeah, that's uh, sadly the reality. As you've heard me uh, reference very frequently, uh, uh, blame the voters, the old Ed Koch uh, uh, term that he used when he lost his last election. The voters have spoken. Now they must be punished. Well, once again, New York City voters have spoken, 
And uh, uh, there is one ray of hope is that pendulum is slowly creeping back to center. And I've been watching it around the country as city after city is reversing their policies on dealing with the homeless and the narcotics addicted. And that was that election up in the Bronx. Historic, first time in 40 years, but the beginning. And all, all things, all change begins with the beginning. So this is the beginning. But in the meantime, uh, we're still afflicted with a city council that is hostile to the NYPD, hostile to the idea of reforming the very badly flawed criminal justice reforms that they and the legislature in Albany put in that created the mess that the city still finds itself in. Good news today in the crime stats released by the department. Violent crime, shootings, murders are down. But so many other areas of crime are still up. Subway crime, et cetera. And by the way, so, Commissioner, did you see also um, anti-Semitic mm-hmm. tax in New York City up a huge amount? No surprise, sadly. Not, not huge, phenomenal amounts and reflective of, uh, unfortunately, uh, so many uh, people in the city uh, just don't understand history. Hamas is no different than Nazi Germany. Hamas leadership is no different than Adolf Hitler and the people he had around him. Why are they so much alike? because effectively they were both intent on eradicating Jews from the face of the earth. But in doing that, they did not care how many others they would kill or injure. So in the case of World War II, 20, 30, 40 million additional people were killed while they went about the business of trying to kill the Jews. Hamas is not caring at all about the losses of Palestinian people. Ironically, they are the elected government of the people that they are responsible for killing at the moment. It's not the Jewish government that's killing them. It's the Hamas leadership. And I was very taken by a couple of the comments in the uh, debate the other night, Nikki Haley's comment uh, about that issue in the sense of Hamas is committed to not only killing Jews, but basically killing Americans because they hate America. And then Senator Scott, his comment, I love something that needs to be paid attention to. So many of these demonstrators, these students who are here on scholarships who are here through the basically the benevolence of the American government, the American people, they are here as guests. And if they want to go out and raise hell and attack and continue their anti-Semitic activities, well, let's send them back to where they came from. It's that simple. Yeah, you know what? I, I thought he was really powerful in the debate where he said that. He said zero tolerance. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is... There's a big uh, day of rage today that's taking place in New York City. Lots of protests. High school kids. It's like up to 100 high school, well, public high yeah, schools. They, they, they don't understand their history. It was like during the uh, 2020 George Floyd demonstrations. We could not understand that where did all these young white people with straight white teeth come from? They outnumbered the blacks in the demonstrations. What were they so angry about? What were they so mad about? Are they paid, uh, are they paid political participants? I don't think so, uh, John. I think it's just it's naivete. It's lack of education. Let's look at a lot of these people that they were not around during the things we're concerned with, how bad the 80s and 90s were. Most of them have no understanding of the Holocaust. Most of them have no understanding of the last 60 years of history in the Mideast. They are, uh, we think they're well-educated, but the American colleges, American universities are doing an abysmal job of teaching young people today. And that compounds the problem of our high schools that no longer teach our history. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. 
With us today is the new county executive of Suffolk County in New York and in Long Island, Ed Romaine. Well, congratulations, Ed Romaine. You won a big victory and uh, something that uh, uh, the GOP wanted for a long time. Uh, Ed Romaine, you said you, you will not take the migrants, and you said that you'll take any statues that uh, they take down. Tell us what's going on. What, what, what are you going to do uh, to run Suffolk County the right way? Well, the right way is not accepting migrants, making sure. We, we, look, I dealt with my constituents. They're upset with the Biden inflation. They're upset with the taxes we pay in, in New York State. They're upset uh, with the, the concern about public safety. So I'm going to address public safety because that's the first obligation of any government. And we're going to actually take the money that we tax people for and spend it on the police as it should be spent. Uh, well, you know, people live in Suffolk County. I live in Suffolk County uh, um, all summer, and I live in uh, a lot most of the weekends in the winter. But number one concern is everybody wants to feel safe. Absolutely. They want to feel safe, and they want to feel that they're being taxed out of house and home. I mean, in Suffolk County— Believe it or not, we tax their electric bill, we tax their propane, we tax natural gas, we tax their home heating fuel. I want to do away with that tax, very regressive tax that falls heavily on, on those with modest incomes. So that's one thing I want to take a look at. I want to reorganize government. I want to make it effective and efficient. And obviously, we do not want to take migrants. And to our friends in New York City that wanted to tear down the statues of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Columbus, we say, if you do that, we'll take the statues. I can't believe you're trying to rewrite history after the fact. These people, despite all of us have flaws, despite their flaws, they were leaders. They made history. They helped form our country. Have you talked to Bruce uh, Blakeman in Nassau County? Because you guys are going to be partners to make sure Nassau County and Suffolk County remain safe and, and that you guys uh, do similar things. Uh, do, you, do you have a good working relationship? For many, many years, and he was kind enough to call me, and we are going to be meeting and, and working on a common-sense agenda for Long Island because there are parts of the state where common sense doesn't seem to be it seems to be in short supply. But we're going to work on a common-sense agenda for Nassau, Suffolk County, for Long Island. And that's why Long Island turned red while the rest of the country was voting blue. New York, Long Island turned red. Well, congratulations again. When you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, what's your number one priority that you think about? People in this county and making sure that we address some of the needs that they have. John, let me tell you, I read your book. You were my inspiration. How far do you want to go? That was a great book. And I'm going to plug it on the air because I think people who want to get up and do something should read your book. They will be inspired. Well, thank you so much, Ed Romaine. I'm so disappointed in what happened in New York. We didn't, in, in New York City, the five boroughs, we didn't get more people elected that wanted safety in our streets. It's incredible because there are people that are very concerned with New York City. It's a great city. Some of its greatness is being tarnished by some of the things that are happening in the city today. And I, I don't have to tell you, you live there, you know it, you love Manhattan, and I'm so happy you're out on Long Island. I have an opportunity to see you from time to time when we have, when you have your breakfasts out there with many of the people that admire you. But in the city, 
I'd like to see the city be the great city it once was. We got to make a comeback, and I'll tell you, I'll give you a, a tidbit. We have eight and a half million people in, in the five boroughs, and probably 3,000 bad repeat criminals that some of the DAs refuse to put away. And if we got rid of those 3,000 bad criminals by putting them in Rikers Island forever, guess what? New York City, we can walk around again. I, that's my Absolutely. dream. Absolutely. Yes. It's only a few handful. Look, I started my career many, many, many years ago as a teacher. And you know that if you had one or two or three troublemakers in your class, you'd have a tough year. You'd have to set them down and, and, and read them the riot act to get them to behave. And once you did that, you could teach. The same thing with the city. You get a few bad apples in there and they turn the city into something that no one wants to live in. Everyone's afraid of. Look, I'm looking at even congestion prices. Hey. You're going to kill Broadway. At least not do it after 6 o'clock at night. Let people be able to come to the city and go to the theaters and enjoy the restaurants and stuff of that nature. That's what the city is known for. I already said to them the same thing. I said, Manhattan, New York City has one nail in the coffin. Don't put a second nail in the coffin. Wait for New York City to recover before you put in congestion pricing. I live on Long Island, but I love New York. And everyone, New York City used to be our mecca, where we would go for entertainment, to enjoy ourselves. And I don't know. I just talked about taking my grandchildren in to see the Christmas show. And, and my daughter said, no, no, I really don't want them going to the city. I don't think it's safe. And I, I'm like, you know, the kids would love to see the Christmas show. You know what I'm talking about. I know and, exactly. I used to take my city, my kids to Radio City when they were growing up, and they loved it. I wanted to take my grandchildren. And she said, they said, no, my, my daughter said, no, I, I don't want the kids to go into the city because I'm concerned. I said, look, I'll handle everything. Nope. So it's sad because that city is a great city. I love New York. And Thank I you. want it to be great again. Ed Romaine, I look, I look forward to spending time together and to help Suffolk County, to help New York City and, and our country. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you real soon. John, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your leadership and your inspiration. Thank you. Thank you, Ed Romain, County Executive, Suffolk County, for the next four years. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. With us this Sunday morning is uh, Congressman Peter King. To me, he was always the congressman. He's not a former congressman. To me, he's always our congressman. And uh, Congressman King, uh, you uh, participated in a big red wave in Nassau County and Suffolk County last week, Election Day. Uh, tell us about what happened. Why were people so emotional about that red wave? Yes, John. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. I uh, know this, this uh, last Election Day, these were historic victories on Long Island. Just several years ago in Nassau and Suffolk counties, the county executives, the district attorneys, the county legislatures, some of the towns, they had all gone Democrat. In the last few years, they came back steadily, steadily, steadily. And then on Tuesday night was the greatest victories ever uh, in Suffolk County and in Nassau County. In Suffolk County, Ed Romaine was elected county executive. He is a first-class person. He will bring great leadership to Suffolk County. In Nassau County, uh, we took basically everything, including the city of Long Beach, city of Glen Cove, the uh, town of Hempstead, all of the towns, uh, every key race, and many of other races that people weren't looking at, the Republicans won. Let me say up front, John, not just because I'm on with you, one of the reasons is Joe Cairo, the Nassau County chairman, and Jesse Garcia, the Suffolk County chairman, 
realized early on to get their message out. And uh, it was a tremendous help. It's a, uh, a way for candidates who may be ignored by the so-called mainstream media to get their message out. Also, in Nassau County, Joe Cairo, uh, unlike other Republican campaigns around the country where people come in the last few weeks and they do some uh, TV ads or something and they hope that's going to win the election, Joe Cairo works on this every day of the year. Uh, every day he's, he's planning, he's plotting, he's working. He's using drama clock on the pollster. They go through to find the best candidates, to find out the different issues for the different communities. They pick candidates who are active in their communities, who the people know. And then they do this all over the summer. But starting Labor Day, it's just every, every day there's committeemen out. On weekends, there's thousands of people out going door to door. In Suffolk County, Jesse Garcia has brought back the party. Again, he, uh, last year won the district attorney's office. And Republicans won the county legislature. And this year, for the first time in 20 years, there's a Republican county executive, Ed Romaine, in Suffolk County. And Jesse also is the same thing. You can't just be a political leader sitting back in your office raising some money and hoping that some TV uh, ad is going to win the election for you and you're going to take some candidate out of nowhere and make him the office over. Joe and Jesse, Joe Cairo and Jesse Garcia both realize you need people from the community and people who are able to have the guts to raise the issues about illegal migration, people who are candidates who have the guts to stand with the police, stand with law and order, stand with the cutting back on the crazy increases in spending. And they did it. I would say probably in Nassau, the key issues, what was going on in New York City with the migration, with the crime, with the fact that people in Nassau County and Suffolk County feel unsafe going to the city. And in Suffolk County, both Ed, he said, Ed Romaine announced that Suffolk County would not become a sanctuary county. Bruce Blakeman repeated that in Nassau County. So they're talking to real people with real issues by real candidates who understand their communities and their neighborhoods. Peter King, uh, I am, you know, living in uh, Suffolk County for uh, weekends and all summers. I am happy that I'm going to feel I'm going to feel a little more uh, safe. And that's what... And that's what people want to do, feel safe. Now, I'm disappointed, uh, Peter, that uh, out of 51 city council seats, it, they didn't get much, uh, peop- many people voting. I think it was like less than 10%. And uh, why is there such apathy in the five boroughs? You know, it must be, John, that they, people have given up. I don't know. It made no sense. Now, there was that great victory in, in the Bronx, uh, in the North Bronx, but... Uh, they should be out, up, up in arms, those people. They are affected the most. In Nassau County, people come out because they're afraid of what's happening in New York City is going to come to Nassau. The people in this city are there already. They should be the ones who are really out there voting, and it makes no sense. Uh, in Nassau County this year, my understanding was Republicans had about a 33% turnout. That's amazing for an off-off year. And to have these small turnouts in the city council races, I mean, remember, in Nassau, we're just trying to hold something off. In New York City, they should be fighting it off. It's right there already. And you think they would be out to make sure that there's more cops in the neighborhoods, that the cops' hands are untied, that you'd be getting the, uh, you know, the uh, derogs off the street, that you'd be finding places for the homeless, that you'd be making the subways safer. But no, they, uh, I hate to say people deserve what they get because that's unfair to the good people living there. But, wow, they need political leadership in those communities. They need grassroots. Remember, in Nassau County, we have every community has a whole Joe Cairo has a Republican committee in every community in Nassau County. And that means a local leader, the committee men, the committee women, the club officers. And they're expected to be out in the street all the time. 
talking to the neighbors. What do you need? If there's, if there's a particular crime issue or if there's something that's uh, unsettling to the public, they go to uh, in the Bronx, uh, uh, Peter, uh, uh, Congressman, uh, in the Bronx. I understand that lady worked very, very hard. Uh, the right. other lady uh, uh, that won, uh, she worked very, very hard. I mean, every, oh, I, I, I heard, I heard her voice every twenty minutes. I heard her voice. I mean, so people that work hard, right? Maybe they win. But you got to do it. You got to do it year round. Vicky Palladino does it year round. Ian Vernikoff does it year round. They've set up their organizations and their communities, and they work to get out. They're responsive to the people. When there's an issue, they're able to bring it to the police. They're able to bring it to the uh, appropriate department. They're able to the media. And you're right about Vicky Palladino. There's no reason in the world, under the odds, that she should have won that race. That's a, de- a big Democratic registration edge. But she won because she's tough, and she doesn't back down. Like in Nassau County, we have 100,000. 100,000 more Democrats and Republicans in the county, and yet we swept every key position, including the town of North Hempstead. We reelected a supervisor when we hadn't even elected one since 1989. So that's an example of uh, how hard work gets it done. But the people in New York City, they need better leadership. They need the local community, Republicans and conservatives, independents to get together. Otherwise, it's just going to be more of the same, worse and worse. And the city is going to suffer. Listen, about half a million people moved out in the last year. And the people who moved out are the people who have the money that provide the jobs for those living in, in those communities. So this is, uh, they, they really got to get strong. They got to get tough. And they got to get organized. They can't just sit back and complain. And the worst thing is the people say, oh, it's all the same. Why bother voting? Well, that's why the bad people have taken over. Peter King, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for speaking out for our country. 28 years in Congress, and you're still speaking out. Uh, God bless you, and God bless America, and and I pray for our city, our county, and our country. Thank you so much. Yes, and let's all celebrate the Veterans Day weekend. Thank you, John. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Governor David Patterson, and uh, Governor, you are 100% right not much changed in the five boroughs in New York City with the election. Just as you predicted, one or two people change places, but the chairs in the Titanic are intact. What say you yeah, today? Republicans won a city council seat in the Bronx for the first time in 40 years, and but the Republican candidate in the 47th district lost. And so everything really came out to be about the same. The voter turnout was low, but I think there's a very good explanation for it, which is this year, 2023, and it's the year before the presidential election. So that would be 2019, 2015. In these years, there's no mayor's race on the ballot. There's no governor's race on the ballot, and there's no presidential race on the ballot. So, you know, those are the real motivators that drive people to the polls. And then, you know, picking judges and city council members. It's further down on the list, and really only the diehards actually show up. But it is kind of interesting because on Long Island, at the same time, Republicans did very well. As a matter of fact, they have a supermajority now for the first time. And they came within one seat of having a supermajority in the Nassau County legislature as well. So it wasn't a, uh, a total loss. Nationally, it was a little surprising, I think, that the abortion issue turned the tide in a few states, and particularly in Ohio, where there are greater protections than there were before. But what I wanted to talk about, uh, John, is 
Thursday night, we had the former ambassador, Danny Dannon, on the, the show, and he was talking about this whole idea of a ceasefire or a pause or a break or whatever it is it's called. And it really bothers me. And I wanted to go back to that subject because on October 7th, I was riding out to Nassau County uh, where I was going to speak at a luncheon of the statewide NAACP. And at, you know, when I first heard about the attack, never in my wildest imagination did I think that an unbridled attack, no notice, absolute secret that was unveiled same way as it was at Pearl Harbor against uh, Israel as it was against the United States, that within a month, people would find a way to politicize that kind of attack. Now, the Middle East obviously has been an unstable area for 5,000 years. It's hard. You can point the finger at everybody. Everybody at some point has probably done something wrong. But we as a people and as a humanity have got to get to a point where we can all agree on something that is unacceptable. In other words, we're reading two weeks later that, well, they got attacked because of something that happened and uh, mistreatment of Palestinians or mistreatment of different groups. But when in the barbaric way that they killed 1,400 people in Israel and that they immediately responded, many of the countries advising Israel to take precautions, how do you take precaution when you're the victim of an attack? I, I don't understand that. And I'd say my final thought is just that if that's going to be the way things are, then when the United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, nobody took time to take precautions. We went into Japan, and in the next four months, we killed 40,000 people. You know, later on, we, of course, dropped a bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in August of 1945. So these situations indicate that once somebody starts a war, it is going to be brutal. It's going to be horrible and barbaric. But it's a war. The it's question war. is, who started it? That, see, this is the problem. And I have to feel a little bit sorry for the Palestinians because I believe, and I think the ambassador agreed with me, that Hamas was paid by leadership of Iran. So they paid, let's say, 10,000 Hamas killers, $10,000 a piece for their families, gave them machine guns, and sent them into, into uh, Israel. And the two million people that live in Gaza, I don't know how many of them are innocent and how many are guilty, but I'm sure there's a lot of innocent ones too. So this is the problem where I said to the ambassador, somebody should send the CIA in there or uh, whatever to get the leadership of Iran because they're the real killers. They paid the money. It's been stunning how infrequently Iran's name comes up in the conversation when you hear about what the responses are, when everybody knows that they have been promulgating this kind of hatred, paying off people that they know are basically hired killers. And I don't know how much uh, any of the Hamas people got paid. They are so twisted, in my point of view, they would probably have done the shootings for free if you gave them the guns. Well, they, they, you're, you're absolutely, I believe you're somebody absolutely paid. Right. Yeah, and listen, I'm, I'm not ruling that out. I'm just saying that the sneaky way that people have figured out ways they're sorry about. I mean, we're all sorry about what happened to anybody in any part of that region. 
who was not a part of the attack itself. But that's the catalyst for what war really is, that somebody starts something and then turns around and acts like they didn't do anything wrong. At the end of the day, what we did is we got the person that did 9-11 on us. We sure did. And And, right after that, it became quiet for a long time. Yeah, it took 10 years, but they got him. And they got a whole lot of, most of those people who were involved were brought to justice one way or the other. And that's what they need uh, to do with Iran. They got to bring to justice the people that paid the money and press those buttons. I couldn't agree with you more. David Patterson, we'll see you real soon. And thank you for your contributions. And thank you for telling the American people the truth. Thank you, John. With us today is former Senator uh, Alphonse D'Amato. Senator, good morning. How are you this Sunday morning? Very good, John. And it's great to be with you always and get to talk about what's taking place today and uh, the horrific situation that we find ourselves in with Israel having been attacked so brutally, brutally, and, and it seems that there are many Americans who don't recognize who started this whole thing and who are calling basically for the elimination of Israel. We even had one member of Congress talking about roll back the sea, basically, you know, get rid of Israel. I mean, this is incredible. Here they were living in peace with the Palestinians, okay, feeding to them a great deal of authority. And by the way, I wonder how the United States and the Israeli intelligence agencies didn't pick up on this attack, which took them, took Israel by surprise, and they lost 1,200 citizens, babies being butchered and killed, women raped and killed, 200-plus hostages being taken, and here we have Biden saying, oh, uh, let's have a three-day pause for humanitarian reasons. And, and you know why this took place? Where did Hamas get the munitions, the supply, the trainings, all right? Iran. And where did Iran get the money? And how did they get the money? Forget Washington the and the American Washington. consumer. Well, you got it. We, while we cut off the development of oil and natural gas and made it difficult, right, wouldn't let Canada bring a pipeline through, what did we do? We opened the pipelines for Iran. Oh, yeah. This administration, Sleepy Joe Biden, his ambassador, he had a special envoy to Iran. And what did he do? They wiped out all of the sanctions. Iran got anywhere from 50 to $80 billion that they wouldn't have had. And where did the weapons come from? Who is now attacking? What forces are now attacking U.S. forces in, in, in areas of the Middle East? It's Senator, just to bring every, all Americans up to date, under President Trump, uh, Iran was only allowed to produce 400,000 barrels a day at $50 a barrel, which is nothing. Now they're producing, under President Biden, they're allowed to produce 3.5 million barrels a day at 90 or $100 a barrel is $2 billion a week. 
and that money yeah. is going into terrorism. That money went in to pay for the Hamas that killed the Israelis. You're right. And, and you know, John, why do you think this attack took place when it did? I'll tell you why. Because Iran panicked. They panicked when Saudi and uh, Israel began to talk about coming together. Uh, that's the last thing Iran wanted to see. It would have brought stability to the Middle East. And then she had her terrorists that she is sponsoring, Hamas, open up on Israel. Now, let me tell you something. We've had, I think, about 60 American soldiers who have been wounded. Forty-five of them or thereabouts came down with the diseases of the mind, etc. with these attacks, which have been sponsored by Iran. Iran's people attacking our people in Syria, etc. We better sleepy Joe wake up and tell them we will strike your atomic facilities. We'll knock you out. And the only other country that had the nerve, the gall to stand up to them, the balls to stand up to them, are Israel, because Israel will knock out the atomic facilities. And that's what we should send the message to Iran. Well, knock uh, out your atomic facilities. Senator, if if Iran is making $2 billion a week in in oil, how much is an atomic bomb if they bought it from uh, North Korea, Quest? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I mean, you can't. There's no no comparison. The money that Iran has made since we lifted the sanctions, since we, since Biden surreptitiously did this, and and now he's he's calling for Israel. Oh, let's have a three-day pause. I mean, what the, does he think he's going to get Iran uh, to cool it? Iran wants to take over that whole area. Iran wants to wipe out Israel. Iran wants to take over the entire Arabic area. Iran is after Syria and all those nations that have any independence. He wants to be the the guru of the whole area. And Sleepy Joe is kissing his butt. He is kissing the butt of the Iranian who is sponsoring Hamas and this terrorism. Wake up, America. And the Democrats, for God's sake, who are sleeping on this thing, do you see what's taking place? you see how our country is being destroyed, how, we, how we're losing it? And I have to tell you, we better hit them, send them a message. You stop the nonsense now, or we're going to go after your nuclear facilities. And by the way, if we signaled Israel to do it, he would do it. But what does Sleepy Joe say? Oh, Let's have a three-day pause. Let's stop for three days. They suspend activities. I mean, this is incredible, absolutely incredible. We are in deep, deep trouble. This country and this president has no idea what to do, except he wants to kiss up to China, kiss up to, to, to the Russians. And how is he doing that? By not taking on Iran who is now their stooge. He is the stooge for China and for Russia. It is Iran. And we are the biggest stooges because Sleepy Joe is sleeping at the switch. Well, Senator D'Amato, 
we set it the way it is, and the American people have to realize what the heck is going on. Is there anything else? Uh, we got a minute left uh, that's keeping you up at night. I understand pre- President Biden is meeting President Xi of China in San Francisco next Wednesday. And I'll tell you something. Uh, the results will not be good for America because we have compromised ourselves in every way. And we show ourselves so weak. And I have to tell you, I, I am upset with those Republicans. And there's, there's a good chunk of them who don't want to support uh, the battle that's taking place in Ukraine. Let me say this to you. We want to make sure the money is being used appropriately. We should absolutely have control over it. We shouldn't let it be wasted. But we cannot abandon the Ukraine. Because if we do, that's the end of democracies as we know them. You you think that they're, they're going to stop Russia? There's Poland. There's Hungary. There are all the countries that that Russia would love to eat up. They will capitulate. There won't even be a war. This is the time to stand up and support the Ukraine. So to my Republican colleagues, wake up. This is a battle for the United States. This is a battle for democracy. Senator Alphonse D'Amato, thank you for putting out the truth on a Sunday morning. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much. And you keep up the great work, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Craig Eaton, the former uh, chairman for 10 years of the GOP of Brooklyn. I got an interesting question to ask Craig Eaton. We talked to Alphonse D'Amato. We talked to Peter King. We talked about the, the Joe Cairo and Ed Romaine on the successes of Nassau Suffolk County. As well as Nassau Suffolk County did, the five boroughs of New York City did horrible on law and order. Craig Eaton. You know the five boroughs better than anybody. Tell us what happened. Why are people ignoring it? You know what, John? It's, it's kind of a mixed bag. When I was the chairman in Brooklyn for 10 years, for five of those years, I was the vice chair of all the city for the state party. So I got to travel around the boroughs in the city of New York, and I got to meet all the chairmen. I know all the current chairmen. And, and I got to say, Election Day was a mixed bag. I mean, for example, Christy Marmorado, the sister of the chairman, Mike Grandino in the Bronx, won a very, very competitive city council race. And that's the first elected official they've had in 40 years. So that was a big plus for the Republican Party, now that we have representation in the GOP in the Bronx. Now I understand she worked, she worked very, very hard. She worked very hard. She's, she's in the medical profession. She is a, a bright, articulate, beautiful young woman. And she worked hard. I mean, Mike Grandino worked hard. Dawn worked hard. The whole Bronx team worked hard and put all of their marbles into this race. And you know what? It proved that they were right. She was the right candidate. And now they have a representative in the city council, which is amazing. Amazing. Now, but if you want to turn to Queens. Wrong. I mean, you had 51 city council seats. You only picked up really a, a one in the Bronx. Uh, Paladino uh, won tube, and she kept her seat, which was good. But overall, out of the 51 seats, you only have six GOP seats. It's a disaster. But, but the real problem, John, the real major disaster on Election Day was the Brooklyn GOP and the Brooklyn Conservative Party and the state Conservative Party 
backing, putting all of their money and all of their weight and effort behind Ari Kagan in the 47th Councilmatic District. Now, what happened is Ari was a one-term councilman in a neighboring district, and when they, when they redistricted everything, they put together Ari Kagan's district with Justin Brannan's district. And Justin has been a city councilman for, for many, many years. He's a Democrat. And a few years ago, I mean, two years ago, this guy Brian Fox ran against Justin Brannan, and he almost beat him. So it's incumbent, it was incumbent on the, 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 the Kings County organizations to put up a candidate that had a good shot at beating Justin Brannan, and they didn't. They failed. They put up Ari Kagan, who, if you look at his resume, he's, people claim he was part of the KGB going back in communist Russia years ago. He doesn't have a grasp of the issues in the district, and I think he was a horrible candidate. And, and he only wound up with about 41% of the vote. And, and the money that they spent in that race is shameful to come up with 41%. Another, another area in Brooklyn which was disgraceful is in the 43rd. We had a woman, a young Asian woman. Now, the 43rd district was created by council member Joe Borelli, who's the minority leader. He created that district to be an Asian district because of the demographics. And we put up Ying Tan in a primary against Vito Labella. And Ying Tan won the primary. And after Ying Tan won the primary, Vito Labella went to the conservative party and the Republican party in Brooklyn and said, I want to run on the conservative line against Ying Tan. And he ran and he took about 1,200 votes away from her. And the truth is that if, if he didn't run on the conservative line as a spoiler, we could have taken, the Republican Party could have taken the 43rd seat because we would have only been a little bit behind the Democratic Asian woman who won. But, you know, again, it's a failure. It's a lack of leadership. But, you know, all across the board, I mean, Staten Island, everyone won. They did great in Staten Island. Joanne Ariola and Vicky Palladino both did great in Queens. So, you know what we have? We have a net gain of one, when in reality, with all of the disgrace going on and, and the defund the police going on in New York City, this was an opportunity lost. The city of New York, the Republican parties in the city of New York lost an opportunity to pick up significant, significant councilmatic members in this race on Tuesday. And how many people actually voted? I, I think the Board of Elections said there was five and a half million registered voters. Yeah. And I think I think when we, we spoke to Mike Ryan on the show on Tuesday night, and I, I think he said there were there were what, three or four hundred thousand votes at that time. I don't know what the end result no, le was. Less than 10 percent. Yeah, less than 10 percent. It's shameful and disgraceful that we are living in a city that's filthy and we have all the migrants coming in and the problem with the migrants. We have the terrorism threat. We have defunding the police. We know that the mayor is has taken away a lot of funding from the police when really right now we should be increasing the funding of police. The subways aren't safe. It is the perfect storm in New York City. And, and it just they didn't get the message out. We couldn't get the message out, I guess, because there were opportunities that we lost. I mean, Bob Holden won, which was a great victory for us, because, you know, although he's a Democratic city councilman, he's, he's very close. He's common sense. And he's I know he comes on our show all the time. Great guy. I'm so happy that he won again. But, you know, there were there were significant losses, two of them in Brooklyn, the 43rd and the 47th, which should not have happened it's, it's like I said before, it's a disgrace and shameful. And we're going to hope to make changes in Brooklyn now so that we don't have these same debacles in the future. I worry about our city. Like I've said to somebody else before, uh, we got eight and a half million people in the five boroughs and probably only 3,000 criminals 
where we took away those 3,000 criminals, put them in jail, New York City would be back to where it was, safe. Um, John, I'm with you. I mean, you know, next year we got the state Senate, the state assembly, and the, and the and members of Congress. And, and we got one year now. We got we to gotta make a difference. We need to continue to lead the charge in New York City and get all these Republican people out there to vote. But, uh, you know, very disappointing day on Tuesday. Thank you, Craig Eaton, for the report for all New Yorkers. John, thanks for all you do, and have a great day. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.